0: did that, all of a sudden I can play Bach again, and I'm happy because I can just enjoy making the music. Enrolled in more guitar lessons, and I remember going, what a bummer. (laughs) And I showed up and happened to meet the man that changed my life, and it was him. It was not the guitar, it was him. It's something that opens the creative mind and develops a sense of discipline in a way that I think other childhood hobbies don't do. And then I realized how hard all of his music was. Every single piece without fail.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to All Strings Considered. I'm your host Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. This week, Martha Masters found some time in her incredibly busy schedule to have a chat with me. Martha is the head of the guitar program at the Loyola Marymount Guitar Festival, a faculty member at LMU and CSU Fullerton, gives solo concerts all over the world, is the president of the Guitar Foundation of America, which hosts the most influential guitar competition in the United States, Oh, and did I mention? She's also the mother of three really cool kids.
0: Two out of three are playing guitar. The third thinks he's playing the guitar. So my older daughter, she's nine, sat down to practice this morning and my son immediately said, I wanna I want to practice. He doesn't know what practicing is. He doesn't do anything yet, but he holds the guitar and he sits with the footstool and everything and he sits just right and he, you know, plucks a few notes and then hands it back and, and that's so he practices. My oldest was started on violin. When she was four years old, she saw a violinist on Sesame Street and fell in love. Because I was a guitarist, she wanted to play violin and guitar. And I said, you have to choose one, it's too much. So she chose violin and she did violin for three years. And after the first year, she just kept begging for guitar. So we started uh, violin and guitar. At some point it just became too much for, for her to practice she also plays soccer and does dance and she's one of those all around i do everything love everything kids so she um, eventually dropped the violin in favor of the guitar you know she she practices semi regularly i wish she would practice a little bit more but she has so many loves in her life that it's hard for her to balance the time i don't wish for her to become a musician if she chooses that's great Uh, but i wouldn't wish that upon anybody because it's a life it's wonderful but full of sacrifices and uncertainty and i love it but if you don't love it you absolutely should not be a musician so i would never push my kids to never push them to be a musician absolutely addicted yeah she has to like, like the rest of us exactly like that you can't envision your life without it in it and then i would support everything they wanted to do but what i see music for my kids anyway and for ideally for all kids would be it's something that um opens the creative mind and develops a sense of discipline in a way that I think other childhood hobbies don't do. They will play together this spring at the LMU Guitar Festival. Oh really? Yep, they are. I I don't know yet.
1: The population of the guitar world tends to be skewed towards males whether the style be rock, metal, jazz, folk music, classical, flamenco, or myriad others. Martha is among the proud few who have had great success competing in this fairly unfavorable environment.
0: There are moments when you realize the minority in which you exist. And I would say I realized that much more when I was younger. Um, At this point in my career, I don't feel it. I've reached a level of comfort with myself and with how I relate to my peers. The first time I really was aware of how much of a minority I was, Mm. was in high school. Because as a guitarist, we grow up, you know, in a private lesson, and you go to your lesson and you leave, and you never see other people doing what you do. My public high school had a really strong guitar program, Mm. and I went into the class, and there were 20 of us in the advanced ensemble, and there was me and one other girl. And 18 boys, this was in the late 80s. you know long long hair crazy metalhead kind of people and uh, they were awesome but that was the first time I looked around and said wow why aren't why aren't there any other girls here I really didn't know before that and then I went to college and it was the same thing there were at Peabody when I entered I want to say there were about 30 students again there was one other girl it was just the two of us at first Mm -hmm. and by the time I left there were a few more and then when I came to USC as a graduate student myself and Kate Lewis and that And that was it no other girls Again, by the time I left, there were a couple others.
1: Martha is among the few women who have won the Guitar Foundation competition. I can literally count that number on one hand.
0: Because Mary Ackerman won back in the 80s. So she won maybe the second edition. And I want to say, I should know my history on this better, but I want to say it was maybe around 1984 or 85. Mm. So Mary won that. And then in 1995, I'm pretty sure of that year, Antagoni Goni
1: won. <clears throat> That's right.
0: And then I won in 2000, and then there's been no one, no one, no one since, no one.
1: One of the benefits of winning a competition of this stature is the recording of a full-length CD on the Naxos label. These first selections, the Prelude, Presto, and Famous Beret from Bach's first lute suite, are from that CD, titled simply Guitar Recital. Enjoy.
0: that one gets the most attention is because of the ornamentation and the fact that nobody was really doing that. I can't get enough of playing Baroque music in general. I'm also doing a Telemann Fantasia right now. That's fantastic. I've always loved listening to it. I've always loved playing it. There became a point where I feared it immensely. I feared it because in performance um, from memory it's incredibly complex and I would basically guaranteed have a memory slip every time no matter how well I had done my homework exactly like the complexity of the counterpoint is just absolutely killer and memory was always a struggle for me Mm. so a couple years ago I finally gave up playing from memory I'm done I don't do it anymore I only play from score and when I did that all of a sudden I can play Bach again and I'm happy because I can just enjoy making the music and I don't have to worry about forgetting it and I adore it. And I think I'll be playing Bach a lot of it for the rest of my life.
1: While no women have since won the Guitar Foundation competition, the classical guitar world itself has seen a gradual yet substantial change in this attitude. And I believe this is because of the positive example set by artists like Martha Masters.
2: How's that? Not bad. Not bad for a girl. Hey, that was pretty good for Rambo
0: work past that and help others be comfortable and for me to be more comfortable too. So mm-hmm. so I think from my perspective, I kind of had to work on the comfort level and mm-hmm. on integrating more socially. And I think that's hard for everybody when they're young. Probably I would bet there are young Males who might have had a very similar experience when they're starting to build into the career that they feel a little bit on the outside because they don't know the people as well. They all know each other because now when I go to a convention or or a festival or whatever, I know everybody. Mm -hmm. And when I was 25, I didn't know everybody. So it may not have been so much about being a woman so much as being the new guy. Occasionally you hear a remark, uh, you know, that I would call somewhat chauvinistic, but usually um, I feel like those remarks are not ill-intentioned. They're just how somebody is and they're going to say what they're going to say and then I'm going to play how I'm going to play and they can either like it or not and they can, you know, go then say what you're going to say
1: say what you're
0: going to say about my playing. Exactly, exactly. I really feel certainly being a woman has afforded me opportunities. There have been Mm -hmm. plenty of festivals that feature only women and I get those invitations and Mm -hmm. you're not going to get that invitation, Scott. Right, Right? so it has (laughs) afforded me opportunities. I'm definitely in a minority. I think in a lot of ways that can help you stand out. Uh, It provides a few challenges along the way one of the things that i've always been really pleased to see and i've heard others comment on is that the women that are in our field do tend to be pretty serious and tend to be high achievers so that's something i think that we can be really proud of you have to work just like everybody else and i try really hard not to rely (laughs) on the things that come from being a woman Uh you know i think you have to stand up for yourself as a human not so much as a woman It was completely not my idea, and I was not very excited about it.
2: No? <laughs> that was a forced uh... Yeah,
0: well, you know, I was a very, very shy child, and I really just never spoke my mind. And my older sister had started playing violin, and I wanted to play the cello. And um, my mom said, the cello's too big. I can't drive you to school. <laughs> On orchestra days with the cello, so pick something smaller. And I was like, ugh. And uh, my uncle loved the guitar. He said, how about the guitar? And I frankly had zero interest, but also had zero capacity to express my voice. And so I just, I said, okay. <laughs> and that was it. I walked into my very first lesson. It was in a music store and it was in a practice room that was, you know, a quarter the size of this room, which is pretty darn tiny. And he had to sit right next to this man. And he was, he was an old, old man. And his name was Mr. Sanka. And he smelled like coffee actually with that name, actually coffee and cigarettes which are two cents, which when combined in a really small space on the, the nose of a six-year-old, uh-uh. were just absolutely horrific. Uh, so Mr. Sanka, <laughs> I was there with him for maybe a month. I forget exactly. The store went out of business, and I thought, oh, thank God, no, <laughs> no more, more guitar? <laughs> guitar. But my mother, being the perseverant woman she was, called the local university and said, do you have any guitar teachers? And sure enough, next week was enrolled in more guitar lessons. And I remember going, Ah. Oh, what a bummer. (laughs) And I showed up and happened to meet the man that changed my life. And it was him. It was not the guitar. It was him. His name is Jim McCutcheon. He still teaches in Ohio. We were living in Ohio at the time. And he just absolutely changed my life because I walked in the door. He didn't smell like coffee and cigarettes. (laughs) And he uh, it was a good start, right? And he smiled. And he made me feel welcome, and he spoke in a really positive manner. He had a son who was about my age, so he knew how to talk to kids. And he sat down and showed me his love for music. And I remember he wanted to know what I had been in lessons for a month. He's like, what do you know? And I picked things up pretty quickly. So he said, well, can you read this note? And I said, it's a C. And he said, ah, but it's a C sharp. (laughs) Because there was a key signature you know so we were working out of the notebook which i still love and we went through learned all these you know classical things but at the end of the lesson he taught me how to play puff the magic dragon strumming some chords puff the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the back in the 70s that was that was good stuff right really kind of every lesson Mostly was classical and a little bit of something popular until he kind of realized that actually the popular stuff actually wasn't what turned me on. It just Mm -hmm. never was. And then we really just did classical, gave me great technique. At age six, how how lucky was I? Really lucky. He changed my life. And that to me is such a reminder of what a powerful influence a teacher can have. Because if it had just been Mr. Sanka, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. It's very interesting to me when you record something, we develop a concept for what the CD is going to be. I'm going to do this music and this music and this music and you learn it and you spend months and months, you know, kind of figuring out your interpretation and perfecting things. And then you go into the studio and you record it and then you edit meanwhile, you've learned it. So now you start taking it out on the road and you start playing it. And when you do that, the piece really matures. It's so backwards the way most of us do this. Learn the piece, record it, then take it to the stage. Totally backwards. We need to take it to the stage, live with it for a year, two years. And then record it that doesn't work from a marketing perspective from a marketing perspective what people want you to do is they want you to have the piece recorded and then play it in concert and then sell the cd afterwards because you've recorded it but then i think what ends up happening is that your artistic vision for the piece changes as you live with it hopefully it improves you end up feeling like "Ah, i wish that i could go back and re-record and some really famous musicians have you know notably done that I like the idea of moving forward (laughs) so in my little dream world maybe my next project will involve pieces that I've lived with on stage for a little while or a long while before I put them down it's when
1: the the business side of being a musician gets to be sort of
0: it does you know and I've never frankly been that motivated by that but it's more like you get excited by I have this stuff ready I want to record it you have to realize that that's not the smartest thing but I do like the idea of at some point saying, this is my vision for where I stand right now. I've given it good thought and I'd like to put it down. I'd like to document it.
1: Speaking of recordings, I'd like to play you a selection from Martha's CD of Italian music, titled Viaggio in Italia, which can be translated as Voyage in Italy. I
0: remember the first time I heard Rigondi was when I was a freshman at Peabody. I had never heard of him. And really his music had, frankly, at that time, because this was all of 1990, his music had really just somewhat come to light fairly recently. So it was pretty new scholarship at this point. Nobody was playing Rigondi, but one of Manuel's other students who was older than me was was playing uh, the Ervare. And I heard that and thought, wow, that's spectacular. And then I realized how hard all of his music was. Every single piece without fail. And uh, so I I waited a while (laughs) before I worked on any. I did the Reverie a few years ago. Oh, for God's sake, he was a guitarist. How did he do this? He must have been phenomenal as a musician, as a performer, as a technician. I think his skills must have been amazing. To do something a little different and something a little smaller. And um, so I did a couple of the etudes. They're spectacular melodies. You see the word etude, and I think we often think, ah, student piece. These are so not student pieces. Number eight, I think it was, that's on there. Just the bars, you're just, your hand is dying, and you oh, you can't buzz, and you have to hold it, and you have to do this incredible connecting and shifting and melody over top and, and complex bass. And it's really a challenge not to allow the technical challenges to affect your interpretation. Mm-hmm. Because man, it's easy to you know use some crazy rubato, just to compensate for stuff that you can't do. Your hand just says, "I'm gonna make this accommodation," and your brain sometimes doesn't catch it. A few years after I'd made this recording, I did a masterclass in Canada, I think, and one of the students played number six for me, the the sixth day two. working with him on one of these rubato accommodations and saying, you can't do that. That's your hands wanting to do that, not your brain. And I went to demonstrate and I realized I did it too. And I thought, crap, I bet I recorded it that way. And it's so easy from the outside, a couple years after you've put it down to hear that but sometimes it's so hard on the inside <laughs> to overcome it. So, uh, so it's just interesting the perspective you gain after you've recorded a piece and you put it down. Sometimes you come back and say, "Oh, I would do that differently." But I think there's still merit in the recording.
1: Here's Martha Masters playing Etude Eight by Giulio Regondi. <laughs> now switch from our voyage in Italy to travels in Spain
0: yeah the rep is really I think very interesting on this a lot of it came out of the Segovia archives pieces that were written and dedicated to Segovia mailed to him and then he just put in his drawer and never did anything with them after his death the family asked Angelo Giardino to come in and select the pieces that were worthy of publication and some of them are absolutely stunning Segovia never edited these pieces, so they came in a variety of states of viability. And Angelo Gilardino did go through and make some edits, but he did it very lightly, I think, with a respect for leaving the archive of what was left. It's pretty much what the composer sent in mm. with fingerings marked on there, etc. And what I did, and I, I talked a lot with Angelo throughout the process of this. He was a great advisor for me throughout this. I actually edited fairly heavily on a couple of the pieces based on things that I thought would or wouldn't work. There was one piece that structurally, frankly, just didn't work for me. And so I added repeats. I mean, that's pretty major to to add Add repeats, repeats. but I felt like it structurally wasn't functioning. I've added a lot of bass notes, took out a few. I, I made some pretty significant changes from what was published. And I think Angelo felt really happy with the end result too. I think it makes the piece work better. Vicente uh, Areghi, five lyrical pieces, so much like the music of Toraba. reminds me a lot of the Sonatina. And this music predates the Sonatina, by the way. I had an interesting discussion with Paul Galbraith about that when he heard these. He said, which came first? And at the time, I didn't know I had to look it up. These pieces came first. Uh, And they're very much um, related in style. I will say that these pieces don't lie very naturally on the guitar.
1: Typical of (laughs) composers who
0: don't play guitar. None of the pieces on here are flashy. None of these pieces are gonna become competition repertoire for people because they're not flashy enough. They're melodic, they're tuneful, they're charming. People who listen to them say, oh, that was beautiful. They are absolutely at the degree of difficulty of things that get played in, you know, all the big competitions. But they will never get you that big applause at the end of the day. (laughs) So it was interesting. And when I was recording this, I was, you know, kind of touring with these pieces. And it was so much work for the reward that you got at the end i believe in building concert programs that have a variety of things and you need pieces that are charming and you need pieces that are intellectually challenging and then you need a a little bit of fluff at the end to get them a little excited right (laughs) and this falls in the charming category there's a limited amount of how much you can put of that on a concert program you know, for a CD, I think it really served a great purpose. I think it introduces some repertoire that hadn't been out there. Yeah. Um, but it, like I say, it's not going to become, you know, standard rep for a competition. Perhaps the best piece on there is the San Sebastian. Erimina. Absolutely stunning as a piece of music. Gillardino said he actually thinks of everything he pulled out of the archives. This is perhaps one of the best pieces. It's not very long. It's dark. But it's interesting. He he likened it to some of the greatest music for piano by Bartok. And that says something, yeah. I think. It's it's a fantastic piece of music. I think the Araghi are the pieces that are going to relate best and perhaps be most appealing to guitarists. I'm not sure. But the San Sebastian, I played that for a while in concert. And that was one of the ones that, from the most thoughtful people, always got the comment afterwards. Mm. The general public gave a polite applause to it. The smart people in the audience always came up about that one.
1: So let's hear Errimina. It means nostalgia and is by Antonio José de San Sebastián and is on Martha's CD, Viaje en España.
0: Teaching. I love teaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's... I had some great lessons. With you. Oh, thank you. I absolutely can't imagine life without teaching. I love being a musician. I love playing music, but, but actually talking about it and sharing about it is such a hugely important part of my musical satisfaction. So I feel fortunate to have, after school, gotten a job here, um, and I'm now teaching at Fullerton as well, and I love that job too. I feel so lucky. Um, The students are different. I know. I (laughs) I don't sleep much, and I drive a lot, but I absolutely love the students, both places, and they're different kinds of students. The students that come here to LMU generally have less background, but they come in with an incredibly high level of academic integrity so they can be successful and they have been successful. I've graduated some wonderful students and just a great sense of community spirit when you and I walked in here Friday morning and they're all just sitting out there hanging out playing guitar together because that's what they do. And, And I love that spirit around here. We have a great, great community vibe. Fullerton is a new job for me, so I'm just kind of getting to know everybody there. Really great devotion, and they come in there with more experience. So there's initially a higher level. So the school's been really supportive. The students are great. I love it. I love being president of GFA too. I feel so fortunate. I love everything I do. GFA is an organization to whom I feel incredibly indebted. Winning the GFA changed my career, the trajectory of my career. And so I'm permanently indebted and I also really believe in the work that GFA has done for 40 years. It's 40 years. 2013 is the 40th anniversary. I'm so proud of the history and I feel a responsibility to not screw up what all the wonderful founders and leaders the GFA did for 30 years before I became involved. We've put a lot of safeguards in place so that it's not our show, but that we have faith and belief in the quality of what's being presented.
2: The
1: last selection I want you to hear is from Martha's guitar duo called Duo Erato. Erato is the Greek muse of lyric and love poetry, and their CD is fittingly called Musings. Duo Erato consists of Martha Masters and Risa Carlson. They began playing together at the behest of their teacher Manuel Barrueco.
0: So, Risa and I met at Peabody way back in the day. Um, Manuel actually suggested that we start playing together and that was a great suggestion. So we've become lifelong friends. After I moved away from Baltimore and she stayed in Baltimore, we kind of put things on hold and then we realized we kind of missed playing with each other. So we started playing together professionally in 2001. I think. It was just such a really nice diversion from the other parts of our careers, and it was wonderful. Right now we're kind of on hiatus, because she's Mm -hmm. in baby mode. In fact, I have to check. She's expecting one momentarily, actually. Really? Uh, Yeah, literally (laughs) momentarily. Um, So she's kind of, you know, in hiatus right now. We'll see if we can kind of come out of that as she comes on the backside of kids, but it was really a wonderful relationship. We recorded that CD right across the hall in the studio here at LMU. It was a lot of fun. There's some different rep on there. There's some standard stuff and then some different stuff as well. You have a favorite on here? Gosh, you know, let me see. The best piece of music on here is the Franck. It's absolutely stunning and gorgeous and wonderful. Yeah. It's an organ work transcribed for duo guitar and the transcription just works so beautifully. Hmm. You pass the melody between the two guitars, which I always enjoy, so not one person is stuck with the accompaniment all the time. And it's just the height of wonderful romanticism in a way that, with a depth that I'm not sure we actually got in the guitar repertoire. It's stunning.
1: Before I leave you with Duo Erato playing Matanya O'Fis Transcription of Prelude, Fugue, and Variation, Opus 18, by César Franck, I want to say thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. If you like this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, like it on Facebook, slash All Strings Considered, follow on Twitter at All Strings, or get the latest info on upcoming shows, pictures, and links to the music you heard on the shows, or just email me a question or comment at scottwolfguitar.com slash podcast. Thanks!
0: It's really stunning, I think that piece is very special.